0: So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash TAM to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash TAM and let accountability be your guide. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 27 of the Addicted Mind podcast. My guest today is Liz Dubay, and she is going to talk about finding your sexual satisfaction in recovery. It's a great episode. I really enjoyed it. Liz is really funny and really has a lot of great knowledge and practical advice. So, uh, definitely worth the listen. Also, I want to thank everybody who has left reviews in iTunes. I really appreciate it. That really does help. Also, all the people that have been leaving comments on the blog, I really like to hear from people and I like to hear hear what people think about the episodes. So if you have any comments, please just go to the website and you can uh, comment on any of the episodes. I love to read that. It's awesome. Also, you can join our Facebook group, And that is just go to Facebook and search The Addicted Mind Podcast and click to join. And I'll see you there as well. Let's go ahead and start this episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Addicted Mind. My guest today is Liz Dubay, and she is going to talk about healing our sexuality or finding our sexual satisfaction Once we're in recovery from sex addiction or other addictions, she's going to talk about how do we we get that back and how do we find satisfying sex once we get there. Liz, you want to introduce yourself?
1: Yeah. Hi, Dwayne. Thanks so much for having me. I'm a certified sex therapist and a marriage family therapist. I have a private practice in Long Beach and in Huntington Beach. And uh, most of the clients that I work with, we're typically looking at increasing their levels of intimacy and improving sexual and relationship satisfaction in their lives. And so that's the majority of stuff that I do as a therapist. And then I also blog and I love to do speaking engagements and anything where I can be talking about sex and laughing at the same time. So hopefully today we can do a little bit of that today as well.
0: I hope so. Yeah, I think we will because we've met before and, and we've talked before and we've had some really great conversations about these issues, and I've learned a lot from you. So I'm excited to have you on the podcast to, to talk about this. So let's kind of talk about, how, let's first maybe start with how does addiction kind of impact our sexuality? And and what can be some of the things that we see from people who have struggled with addiction, and, and now they're kind of coming out of that, and they're in recovery? What are some of the things we see and things that you would work on?
1: Well, I think typically when I have clients that are coming to me, sometimes they're coming to me right before they've found a balance between obsessive and compulsive sexual acting out behaviors and trying to find a balance to have satisfying sex. And then some people come to me in recovery where they're saying, oh my gosh, how do I have sex now that I'm sober? Because what I used to do was in order for me to be able to enjoy sex and to feel uninhibited, I needed some sort of a substance to supplement that. Or for people who were Using sex in their uh, obsessive compulsive behaviors, they were using something where it was like, oh, it have to it has to be on the fringe. It has to be something really risky and dangerous, and and most often all of this was surrounding getting to the orgasm. Sex was so focused on getting to the orgasm. So, so much of what I see with clients with those sorts of histories is struggling to maintain sexual satisfaction in long-term relationships, ability to have an orgasm when they're with their partner without um, going outside of themselves. And I have lots of ED, erectile dysfunction, premature ejaculation. People are struggling with a lot of anxiety during the sexual experience because it just feels way too vulnerable without something, without a substance or some sort of risky behavior to bring up that that excitement. Does that make sense?
0: Oh, totally. I mean, I, what what I see in my work, too, is sex can be, they don't have any uh, comfort in it. And when they use a substance or a compulsive sexual behavior, it makes it easier to kind of have that sexual experience. But at the same time, they're not always present.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there may be things that really turn them on. But now, if they don't have that substance to utilize then it's really scary to tell their partner, hey, I really want you to suck on my tits right now. Hey, I really want you to put your finger up my ass. (laughs) I really want you to do something really naughty, but, but I don't know how to ask for it unless I have a substance. Or I don't know how to look you in the eyes during sex. I'm fantasizing about... Doing something that I would never be honest with you about. And so they're just totally separating themselves from their partner. And so then to be there and just be yourself, right. to be open and vulnerable is like, oh, wow, now that's not, that doesn't jive with sexual satisfaction
0: exactly. and And so, yeah, they can't ask for what they want or what feels good or what they what they're thinking about. And I see that a lot of a lot of times with people who are struggling with compulsive sexual behavior, there's a part of their sexuality that they don't feel comfortable with and sometimes is either hidden in their porn viewing or or they go outside of their their relationship what they really care about to kind of seek it out,
1: yeah, yeah. so so I guess, Oftentimes when those people are coming to me, then really I'm sorting through, well, what's keeping you from asking for, for what you want? I'm wanting to assess the level of intimacy, the level of vulnerability they're having with a partner. I'm wanting to assess whether or not they're having realistic expectations. Because sometimes I get people coming to me saying, yeah, you know, I'm not having this, I'm I'm not experiencing sexual satisfaction. I'm having erectile dysfunction. I'm having early orgasm. I mean, early ejaculation or I'm not able to orgasm. And I'll say, okay, well, so how long have you known these partners? Are the oh, these are just people that I'm kind of meeting. I don't really know them very well, and there's there's no sort of history, and so there's no trust that's built, and yet they're asking their body to do something with someone that they don't trust, and they're wondering, oh, huh, why won't my body? kick in. Well, your body's actually speaking for you. Your body's saying, I think in order to reintegrate sex and intimacy into your life without any sort of substance or problematic behavior, you're gonna need to get to know people a little bit more that you're getting naked with. And not that I'm just, I'm pushing that as a as a value judgment because there's I'm not I'm not saying that you need to be able to know a person deeply or or have a history with them to be able to have great sex. But for someone who continues to struggle, and that's where we find that, well, it's because you need to figure out how to develop a relationship with someone first, and then you see how that can be able... I mean, that would explain why you can't be honest about what you want and what you need is because you don't really... You don't know how this... You can't trust how this person might react to your asking of that. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the... Must not take yourself too seriously and... 6-1,
0: Right, right. And I see a lot with people who struggle with addiction, and this is kind of my take on it, but is that there usually is early attachment trauma and there's usually sometimes a difficulty regulating their emotions to be in an intimate relationship. And so these issues start to show up because they can't connect. They have a hard time connecting.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So because they're having a hard time connecting, then they're kind of feeling like, well, I this feels uncomfortable to me. I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling aroused. I'm starting to feel maybe embarrassed or or maybe I'm feeling like, huh, I'm 30 years old, I'm 40 years old and I don't even know what I want sexually. And that feels embarrassing or that feels confusing or, and so much of my work with clients is normalizing that experience. It's like this is your new normal. This is you're you're figuring it this out it, just like you figured out other things. The in your recovery, there's so many things you learned about yourself that were new. Just and this is just like that. Give yourself a break, and it's it's okay not to know exactly what you want because sometimes what we wanted in in our 20s is totally different than what we want in our 30s and our 40s sexually. And and so even if you did know what you wanted in your 20s, maybe in your 30s is different. So really helping them to be more compassionate with themselves and, and to maybe slow slow down the process so that it isn't so orgasm focused where it's like, yeah, let's get naked together. Let's explore each other. Let's figure out yeah, what does this feel like? Without the sense of judgment of, yeah, I need to have an erection when my partner touches me this way, or I should be having an orgasm when my partner touches me in this way.
0: Yeah, no, awesome. So kind of, you know, touching base on, on what you were just saying, it's, it's like you're talking about individuals being really kind of intimate in that, like to, to slow down and be with your sexuality with a, with a person who's there for you can be very vulnerable.
1: Yeah, because you don't know. I mean, and and if this is a partner that maybe you, maybe also you have a history with where when when you weren't in recovery. So you have this, this long history of a sex life with this person. And then now you're saying, oh gosh, I don't really know if I like that same stuff or I don't really know if I can behave in that way when we're sexual without some sort of a substance. Then being able to have open and honest conversations about that maybe outside the bedroom and say, wow, like where are we at? This is where we get to explore each other and look at it from a space of curiosity and non-judgment and being gentle with yourself in such a way that, that that really opens up conversation versus shutting yourself down to say, oh, there's something wrong with me.
0: Right. And, and I think a, a lot of times when people are in recovery too, they haven't had that. And this is just not sexually. This is like in all areas of, of our life. When we're getting into recovery, we're asking a lot of those questions that we're really asking, is this what I want in my life? Is this is this, is this actually work for me? Do I actually enjoy this? And a lot of times when we're in an active addiction, those questions were kind of on autopilot.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is the whole idea of intimacy. Like Esther Perel says, it's into me see. And to do that to yourself and then to also do it naked with somebody else who might look at you and say, you know what? I don't like the way you look. Right. I don't like it when you touch me that way. I don't like, how dare you ask me for that sexually? Mm-hmm. I don't want to have to look at you after that. How embarrassing. And when you're drinking, when you're doing, when you're using some sort of substance, you're not thinking about the repercussions of what you say and do. When you're sober, it's just so much more in your face of, I, I, I might want this, but it might be too embarrassing. There might, the consequences of it might be too difficult the next day. And yeah, so-
0: so, so how do you help when someone's coming in and they're kind of in recovery and they're starting to have these issues, what do you do with them to kind of help them on this journey?
1: So, I mean, first off, I'm, I'm really just having a conversation with them like you and I are having a conversation to be able to recognize, well, of course, no wonder, no wonder this is happening for you. And then I'm giving them permission to- be in a space of curiosity about, well, okay, so do you even know what you like? Is this about you not communicating what you like? Or is this about, do you even know what you like? If they don't know what they like, then we start to have a conversation about that to be able to explore, well, what are the possibilities? If you were to explore, what would that look like? Would you want me to send you home with a fun questionnaire with all these different ideas for you and your partner to complete and see if you both line up? Is it it's being able to have conversations about what the possibilities are and how it might look like to be able to have a conversation with your partner. And, and to also talk about this idea that how can you expect to get what you want if you're not communicating it to your partner? And how would you even know if you, I mean, I love Thai food. I didn't try it for the first time until I think I was like close to 30 and then i go oh my god this is amazing i love this this is and and so all those years i didn't i had no idea if i liked thai food but i once i tried it Then I go, oh, wow, this is great. So sometimes sexually there's things that you just have to try it to see if you like it or not and be okay with that. So it's having that conversation to be able to sort through how might you be able to explore and risk to find out what you like. Is your partner on board with that? Do you have a partner? Is is this something that you're just gonna be doing on your own? Then if if there's things that they're aware of of that they do know what they like, but they're not communicating it, looking at what's underneath that. What's keeping you from communicating what you want? It, does it? Is there shame behind that? Are you getting a lot of uh, judgment from your partner? So I'm looking at the sources of them not sharing that information,
0: and that could also be a lot from you know what I was thinking. A lot of maybe their sexual trauma in the in the background that makes some of their sexuality very frightening.
1: Sure, I mean even it's separate from this idea of looking at how to have sexual satisfaction in recovery. Is I mean, with lots of people, there's resistance to behaviors. There's the, we all carry this kind of this bag, this confusing, confusing backpack of how to sort through our sexuality. And I talk to clients about it in a way that I look at it as like a pie, the perfect pie recipe. You know, consists of lots of different ingredients, and and our sexuality is influenced by things that happened in our childhood, by um, things that by Hollywood by conversations we have with friends by our biology by our religion there's lots of different things and so we're sorting through okay so what makes you up what's making up your sexuality so i'm so i'm doing lots of assessing to see where their sexual schemas come from and and once we sort out whether or not their their negative sexual schemas are actually accurate right and or or not then so we kind of go down that road to sort through and say okay well is this a value judgment is it are you not wanting to do this this sexual behavior or be in this way uh, because it's, it doesn't align with your values and then we sort through their values okay well if it still isn't is it doesn't align with your values okay then let's move on and see you know what would align with your values
0: right and and yeah, no, that totally makes a lot of sense, and and having that openness to be able to kind of talk about that, and then also just uh, the education on sexuality too. I, I find that a lot of people come in, and just the, the the general knowledge of how sex works sometimes isn't even isn't there.
1: Oh, it's fascinating the myths that people have about. Sex is just—I mean, I can't even—I I, could—I could probably rattle off a hundred myths if you had enough time, like just one by one. It's pretty crazy, and, and I say, you know, don't get Hollywood out of your bedroom because so many of those myths are driven by Hollywood, whether it be porno, porn, or whether it be romantic comedies or whether it be these sexy movies, it's like, that's not reality there. There's things going on in the background that you have no idea of. And this is not what sex really looks like. Sex is messy and sex is, and and sex is funny and sex is playful and sex is smelly and sex is sexy. And sex also requires us to communicate because we can't read each other's minds like they do in the movies and in porn. So it's like we need to have a conversation with our partner. And I, I love the example that... There's, there's a couple different therapists that talk about this, the idea of like, if you were to ask, you, you don't assume what, you, what your partner, what somebody wants for dinner. You ask them, what you know, what foods do you like? Or do you have any allergies if you're inviting them over for dinner? If your partner has an important event to go to and they're, and they're going to, uh, you need to buy them a dress, you're just going to say, honey, go buy me a dress. No. That's to a give them So I many
0: specifics. That. I love, right? that. yeah, I, I love that example. I mean, that's the the dinner analogy is is great because it's like that. When you say that, it's like, oh well, that's kind of obvious, right? Yes, but, yeah. But just you know, you're eating that, yeah. uh,
1: but wait a second. I, I'm I'm allergic to cheese, and I'm gluten free. I mean, who knows? I mean, oh, I'm a vegetarian. Oh my god, geez, sorry let me pull that pepperoni off there. Yeah,
0: not so much. (laughs) Exactly. But I mean, I think there in our culture, in a lot of ways, there's a lot of fear around sexuality. So a lot of these questions just, they're never asked or answered or, and it's overcoming all of that, that this is such a, sex is such a great experience. And as we kind of open our minds to it, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: And it's it's real, and it is a shame because, So many people in recovery, you know, that's not happening until... Typically for, I mean, for people, they're not, they're not doing that in their early twenties, you know, they're going into recovery in their, in their late twenties and their thirties and their forties and their fifties. And for them to be looking at saying, oh gosh, what do you want? Or what do I want sexually? There, There's a, a lot of shame and embarrassment that, that, co- that goes along with that. Cause you feel like, well, I should know this. I'm this old. Right. I should know this already. And, and what we want and desire sexually does not coincide with age. That's, I mean... I, I knew much more about what I wanted sexually probably when I was 19 than half the population knows in their entire life. And it's that's just because, so because of a comfort with communication and, and being in a, in a non-shaming environment. And that not all of us are that lucky.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's so true. And, and that comes with that hard work of, of recovery, of building those intimate, safe, Healthy relationships where these conversations can start to take place without all maybe that baggage, that shame, and and if we do experience shame, our partner is there to help us through it and support us. And
1: yeah, and and I think it's also just a great uh, another exercise in healthy boundaries to be able to say, "Huh, I really want to try this. What do you think about that?" And when your partner tries it, ah, oh, I. Uh, I don't know that I, I don't think I'm comfortable trying that. Or yeah, I'll try it this time, but I'm, I'm, I don't know. We'll see what happens. And, and being able to negotiate those sort of boundaries versus just kind of going along for the ride or whatever.
0: Right. Yeah. I have a, a specific question for you. What about dealing with, you know, when people, I see a lot of people who are struggling with sex and porn addiction and, and a lot of times their behavior is is really out of control and they kind of take a little bit of a break from sex. And so when they're getting back into finding their healthy sexuality, they're, they're really asking a lot of questions. And so how would you help somebody kind of go through that process of, of like kind of reengaging their sexuality after dealing with like sex addiction or porn addiction or out-of-control sexual behavior?
1: Well, I think it's going to depend on whether they have a partner or not. So it would be sorting through that to be able to say, okay, well, if you don't, there's sex with yourself and then there's sex with partners. And how long have you been with your partner? That, that sort of thing. Those are, those are factors that would influence it. But for the single person, I would often say it's about exploring yourself, like being able to, how do you feel about your nakedness? How do you feel about your your body? And what would it be like for you to have a sexual session with yourself without any visual stimulation and see how your body responds and think about what your turn-ons are. And think about, if you think about the four pillars of things that people find most erotic, there's then I, I would talk to them about that. Of you know, are you into voyeurism? Are you into exhibitionism? Are you into bondage? Are you into? Are you? I mean, are you into domination or submission? Not bondage, but right. So looking at those and seeing which one do you fall under. Okay, well, I want you to start thinking about what things excite you surrounding that? And what are your fears? What are your worries about what will happen? And, and, talk, and, and really it's a lot of education about what are our expectations. Moving away from this linear idea of what sexual sex looks like. It's like, okay, so I make out with my partner, we do a little bit of foreplay, we have some sort of penetration, we orgasm and then we're done. Right, right. And looking at it more cyclically of like, oh, let's just do what feels good, see how things are feeling. And then we stop when we want to stop or we continue when we want to continue. There isn't an expectation that if there's a penis involved, it needs to be erect. But the that'll wax and wane as our levels of arousal go. So it's so much, so much education and so much just kind of re-exploring themselves as saying, okay, well, what used to turn you on? And, and what do you think that might still turn you on? And... Uh, Really, kind of doing some sort of a like an inventory of, of yourself. What are you? What are you worried about? What are you worried about getting into some problematic behaviors again? And and what was it? What makes you worried that you'd get involved in? You know, because sometimes people think, well, if I do this sort of sexual behavior, then that's going to trigger compulsivity across the board. Right. And right. Um, and I think that's a myth. And I think that if they've worked on intimacy, being honest with themselves, and and figured out. Why they may have been using sex as a, why they may have been using sex, then they'll have a better understanding of different sexual acts. Do not make up addiction. Do not make up compulsivity.
0: Totally agree with that. That that is that is so true. And really giving them permission to explore their sexuality. I mean, not giving them permission, but like saying, hey, explore your full sexuality. It's all there.
1: Yeah, like, it's okay, giving, give me them permission to make mistakes, basically, right, is what we're saying is like, it's okay, like, maybe you try and then if you have a partner, it's a little bit scarier when you have a partner, because you're saying, well, maybe whether this was the same partner you had when you were when you weren't, because your partner also might be feeding off of you. They might be saying, well, I'm really scared to reintegrate a sexual relationship with you because I don't want it to go back to how it used to be. Or maybe your partner's feeling sad that it's not as exciting and, and detached (laughs) as it used to be. Who knows? Right. Right. So that's going to be a factor there to see, okay, well, is couples counseling necessary so that we can be able to explore how the systemic nature of, of this, right? How you guys are feeding off of each other. So, yeah, it's such a complicated question.
0: <laughs> it, it, is, it is complicated. I mean, it's it's a very uh, I was going to say, you know, a thought out process that this is uh has to kind of unfold organically in a very safe safe environment and a safe place. And as you were talking, I was thinking like asking all these questions takes a certain level of mindfulness and and I guess what I kind of say, recovery, you know, we're to be able to ask these questions in a way that help us.
1: Yeah, because the thing is, if you haven't gone into recovery, then this is going to be—it's really going to be pointless. <laughs> because right. you know, I mean, it, what it does is it maybe it helps you work on figuring out recovery of like, oh, why? What am I horny? For? What am I truly horny for? What drives me to do? You know, that's that's really sorting through to be able to say that's like looking at it like looking at how how do you have intimacy but really i mean i think one of the key things is moving away from moving away from orgasm focused sex Right. And being able to say, OK, this is not about having an orgasm. This is about exploring each other and enjoying each other and saying, go have a pleasure session with yourself or with your partner and see what comes up and, and enjoy what feels good without an expectation that your body is supposed to respond in any way. Your body's going to respond in a way that is just a reaction of your thoughts and what they what your body enjoys and so and be gentle with yourself when you're feeling really anxious because your body isn't going to be reacting as it would if you were really relaxed. And and to be able to understand the implications of that is that like you said it's safe you need to be in a safe environment. And if you're with a partner that you don't feel that you can communicate in a safe way that you can feel like there's a level of respect and um, curiosity and compassion and empathy, then of course, you're not going to be able to feel as comfortable communicating what you want sexually or exploring what you want sexually with your partner. So really, that's going to be so much of the work is going to be surrounding that and what needs to happen to be able to make that happen outside the bedroom in order to be able to create that inside the bedroom
0: yeah definitely and i I think healing our sexuality is just is so profound and so rewarding to do i mean it's a difficult process and it can be really scary i can say that from like my own personal experience around working on my sexuality it's definitely but being able to do it and and work on it is it's just it's it's great i mean (laughs) sex is great yeah
1: and i i mean and the thing is 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 if it if there isn't an element of of like that that risk that scariness then sometimes sex is not as satisfying either right. so not suggesting like problematic behavior but but putting yourself out there is what it, it's just like it's just like making new friends you're yeah. putting yourself out there to rejection it's just like I mean there's so many things in life that in order to create something that's satisfying and exciting and it feels good. It's like you have to put yourself out there yeah. and risk that, per, you know, getting that sort of rejection or, or failure.
0: Yeah, um, whatever your fears are. I mean, that's in recovery in general. You, you have to look at your fears and, and sometimes we have to walk into those fears because we're never going to see what's on the other side. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, I, I really appreciate you you coming on, Liz, and and talking about this topic and and sharing your wisdom and all your expertise. It's been awesome having you on here.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I always love to chat with you because we we've got you know these different perspectives in terms of the way that we treat clients, but at the same time, we're we're I think we really align and recognize that so much of. The problematic behavior and people's challenges sexually are just really driven by an inability to be intimate and vulnerable, and it's scary.
0: <laughs> it is definitely, definitely. So, okay. So, how can people get more information about you if they want to know more? How can they find you?
1: Yeah. Um, well, you can. You can. The easiest way is just to go to my website. It's my name, LizDubay.com. So that's L-I-Z, and then Dubay is just four letters. D U B E.com. And you know, you can check out my blog and get some ideas there or you can contact me from there as well.
0: That, that is awesome. And as usual, I will put all that information in the show notes. Liz, thank you so much for coming on and it's been wonderful having this conversation with you.
1: Oh yeah, it was fun. Thanks.
0: Bye-bye. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. Once again, the show notes will be at theaddictedmind.com forward slash 27. So you can get all of Liz's information there. And I hope you have a wonderful day and I will see you next week. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves.